is hw and thank you so much for watching tone junkie tv that's john cordy playing us in mm, would you listen to that mm, 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 mm. would you listen to that um i love having john plays just keep playing john john you just keep playing and i'm gonna start the tone junkie podcast here this is episode 90 here we are uh hw's got his coffee in the british audio mug because uh, the British Audio Mug, uh, just in case you forgot, you can get a Tone Junkie Loaded Kemper available exclusively at British Audio. Exclusively. it's uh, it's You get a Tone Junkie Everything Pack with your Kemper, no additional cost to you. If you're buying your Kemper anywhere else, anywhere else, if you have a friend, a buddy, if you are buying a Kemper and you're buying anywhere else than British Audio, the Tone Junkie Podcast, you are making a mistake. Because it's, you know, you're just going to have to buy profiles in the future. But whatever. You can also get a Michael Britt loaded uh, 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 Kemper as well there. Um, I want to say thank you to everyone starting out who bought me a coffee this week. I bet I'm, I'm blown away, blown away, blown away. Um, look, I could sell 100 profile packs, and it honestly means more that people bought me a coffee here. Um so big shout out if you don't know we got rid of the commercials on the podcast if you're on the youtube the video edition people said too many commercials too many commercials um and what i think it is is um when you hit add when you can add ads manually in in youtube i don't do that uh but what i did was i allowed ads and it's supposed to look for natural breakpoints in the video and I think what happens is it looks for pauses in your audio. Like it identifies speaking and then looks for pauses. And maybe it tries to figure out if that's like a break in a segment or a break in a chapter or something of a longer video. I think my style of speaking with the long dramatic for effect pauses ends up triggering a lot of ads. I've never seen Literally, there was like a, a 25 minute video with with eight ads. I've never seen a video do that, but I didn't put them in. It just randomly generated them there. Usually, you know, you get three or four ads in a video or something or two ads. I don't know. I play for YouTube premium, but we did a new thing where we said, hey, we're going to have uh, we're just going to um, if people want to buy HW a coffee, we'll try to support the podcast that way. And uh, I, I've been blown away. Thank you so much. Some people bought three coffees. So thanks to Jeff Allen for the three coffees. Uh, dude sent three coffees. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, Enrique Passos. Uh, thank you, dude. Uh, EP. This one's got your name on it. 
uh, Nicholas Konechny? Konechny? Is that your name? Anyway, thanks, Nick. Someone just put their name as someone. Someone. Or they didn't put a name. I don't know. Uh, then Alex and Mark Jones. Appreciate it, guys. Mark Jones and someone and Jeff Allen sent in three coffees each. Really appreciate it. And um, I can... Well, I, it's just this is actually more than I would make on the uh, on the uh, on the YouTube <laughs> ads anyway. So I appreciate it. Maybe there's a better way to support the podcast. And uh, if you want to send me a coffee, you can do so. The link's in the description below, uh, or you can go to buymeacoffee.com/tonejunkie. Thank you so much. That's how we'll do the podcast going forward. I think it's a great idea. I love it. Mmm. Mm. That was purposefully loud, and a lot of people last time were like, please never eat salads on the podcast again, but I felt like it was a good follow-up to the Taco Bell thing. You know, it was trying to open a new chapter. We had to call back, you know? Um, no, the salad episode was, look, we're making healthier choices, right? And that's a lot of times what things are about, you know? So um, did I know that people would be annoyed? Of course I did. Of course, of course. A horse is a horse. A horse is a horse. Of course, of course. I knew I knew that people would be upset, but that's just what we chose to do. If you hear some background noise, they're building a deck outside this window, and uh, you know, whatever. I don't know. I don't know if you can hear it or not. Hmm. That's good coffee. Well, before we get into a guitar topic, I need to update everybody about something. You know, occasionally I talk about uh, you know things that are going on in my life and just things in general. And for the year 2020, uh, a lot of people, especially if you've been in the stock market, uh, you've been looking like a genius, right? Because everyone looks like a genius in a bull market. So um, I have a lot of people right now reaching out to me, asking me about investments. Um, how do I invest? Should I inv invest? Do you think it's a good time to buy stocks? And that's mostly because I've been outspoken as a customer and investor in Tesla, um, I've also talked about some other stocks that I that I feel strongly about. I have conviction for, and in 2020 in the stock market, um, I made a ton of money. I mean, a ton, a ton of money. If you've been noticing, HW has been really expanding the collection of uh, of Tone Junkie profiles, or I'm sorry, of Tone Junkie of vintage amps. Uh, that is uh, it, partly in due to the uh, the sort of uh, windfall. Uh, that, that the market has brought a lot of people who got in at a good time. And one of the best moves I made, uh, one of the best moves I made was uh, in Tesla. And everybody knows if you invested in Tesla, Tesla's up 8x or something since the beginning of 2020. Uh, now, I didn't get in all the way back then. I did own a couple shares kind of going way back uh, right after I bought my car. I made sure I was in that stock. But when everything happened in April, May or whatever, I basically sold all the index funds that I had in my IRA, my wife's IRA, my 401k, any, 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 and I took any money I had and I put it in the market because I knew we were going to recover. And I said, and I put a, most of that in Tesla, most of that in Tesla. So it's done quite well for me. Now, with that said, I got a lot of people asking me, should I invest? Should I invest? Should I? I have to tell you something, and I full disclosure here, I sold. I sold Tesla shares. I sold it. <gasps> HW, but you say they're the most important company in the world. You say they're building these great cars. You love their cars. You just went and test drove a Model Y with your wife the other day. I know. 
I know I did, but listen, I didn't sell everything, but I sold about 30% of what I have in Tesla. And there's a couple of reasons I did that. One is I think the stock's going down. No, I don't. I don't believe that actually. I think the stock's going to keep going up. I think Tesla's easily going to be a trillion dollar company. It's going to be a two and a three trillion dollar company. Uh, Elon Musk has a really good shot right now to become uh, the, the the first trillionaire. Um, and I think that's going to happen actually uh, relatively soon. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it happened uh, in, in the next five years, in the next four to five years for him. Um, I think Tesla stock's going to, I don't know that it's going to make the huge meteoric gains it has been making. However, um, it's really hard to be bearish on Tesla. Um, but you got to be honest about one thing. I'm going to call spade a spade here. Tesla always exceeds expectations. Always. They exceed expectations. Um, you know, the half a million cars thing was you know, something that Elon put out there, but it, the stock always seems to get fairly realistic expectations and they, 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 they go past that. Or rather I should say, there's always so much to be positive about, you know, did they miss the 500 mark? They did it, but had we been in a leap year, they would have made it. I mean, it was so close to, you know, being positive. It was still a record quarter, uh, in de for deliveries, literally by January 2nd, they had delivered over 500,000 cars. So, you know, did they make it by the 31st? They were 48 hours late or something. It, that's the kind of thing. And then you look at that and you realize, well, that 500,000 anyway, in deliveries, that was the estimate before COVID. So they even, so they missed their COVID estimate by like, you know, a couple hundred cars. And then they had done it by, by, you know, on a, fr that was on a Friday. They had done it by Tuesday. So it really is, is, uh, it, it's really been a great stock to own and it's, it's just gone crazy, but, um, I don't think gains like that can continue, but I do think, um, that it will continue, uh, to perform and probably outperform the market. Uh, that's my guess. I don't think we're going to see eight X, but, um, I would not, if you told me there's going to be a 25 or 30% upside in Tesla in the next year, I'd say, wow, absolutely. That, that seems, um, that, that, yeah, why wouldn't there be, um, cyber trucks are going to hit, um, you know, they're putting showrooms up everywhere. Um, the deliveries are, 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 are going incredibly well. Um, they've just put in AI, um, actually on, in the, on the factory floors to, um, to fix their issues with, um, uh, quality control. They've actually installed cameras and the cameras are running AI that are identifying the fits of doors as they go by so they can find these issues before they go out the door. If you think about it, it's the same thing as the full self-driving, having a camera that looks out and identifying a car, identifying moving objects. They're doing the same thing, only they're, they're programming it to read is a door, is a whatever, is a seat, is a line or a, an angle within our tolerance. And once they do that, they can begin to um, uh, tighten up the tolerances. Also, I don't know if you know this, um, you should Google something called the GigaPress. Uh, Tesla's expertise is not just in EVs. Tesla is really becoming a manufacturing expert. Uh, expert. And um, for years, we have heralded uh, TPS, the Toyota production system, uh, as the gold standard. Uh, Tesla is Tesla is making the Toyota production system look like something out of the Stone Age. Um, uh, literally. Um, 
they're not even, I mean, think about this. They're not even, it's not even just in time inventory. They're not even holding inventory at the dealerships. They're eliminating inventory in one, one side, um, uh, you know, of, of the, uh, of, of the life of the car. So there's, there's, they're not really holding significant inventory, uh, in, in the dealerships. Uh, everything is being, is ordered, uh, and then made. Uh, and if there's not an order for it, the car gets made and it gets pushed to a dealership. So inventory is now a byproduct of, uh, of an efficient, um, uh, supply chain rather than the supply chain trying to serve inventory in the sort of most minimal way possible, which is an, I guess a natural extension of, uh, of, uh, JIT theory, just in time theory. But all that to say, they've got something new called the Gigapress. Um, and the first model Ys are now hitting the road that are made on this thing called the Gigapress. The chassis of the model Y, the full body is now cast from one piece. It's made on one press. There is now a machine called the Gigapress that makes the model Y in one piece. It doesn't make the roof and the floor and the parts that go up and the, the support beams and the right. It doesn't do all that in multiple pieces and then has to put them together and weld them together. It actually is pressing all of that metal together in one piece. Uh, you can go look up the Gigapress. Um, now it's not, it's not carved out of a solid piece of metal. Obviously it's bending metal and stuff, but the, look up the Gigapress. Um, and uh, that's the type of forward momentum uh, in manufacturing that is that is just gaining them margin. Their margin is going to go through the roof. They're very quickly going to have the best margin in the business, better than Toyota. And and then we got to follow Wright's law, which is with every doubling of output uh, or doubling of production, uh, manufacturing costs uh, begin to decrease at a linear steady in a linear steady way what that means is we have every reason to believe that as they exponentially increase sales and production which they are with the opening of two new factories uh, uh, both in Giga Berlin uh, and in uh, in Giga Austin or Giga Texas and then it looks like they're looking at another factory now they might break down break break ground sometime this year uh, on a, late this year and probably Q4 of another factory in the Northeast and combine that with Giga Shanghai phase two. As I'm telling you this, I'm going, why did I sell? But, um, but I sold 30% of what I owned. Um, I'm so bullish on that stock. If it dips, I will probably buy more. However, my challenge this year has been, I simply cannot make enough money and invest enough money to balance my portfolio, uh, in a way that makes sense. I think, um, you know, uh, without, without trimming back a little bit. And what I wanted to do is get some money into some other areas. And, um, and, and so that's where we're at. Right. And so I just purely as a matter of principle and discipline, I had to sell some Tesla. Um, uh, but I think, you know, um, you know, I know a lot of people say the stock's overpriced, but you know, in a couple, in five years or so, 10 years, they're going to write a paper and they're going to name it. And you can name it the Tesla rule or the HW rule. Cause I'm, I'm talking about this right now or whatever. And, um, but people know this, but I don't know that it's been named, but let me just put something out there for you. 
every valuation is made up. There is no standard for evaluation. All there is is general consensus, right? So what people do is they look at what they look at comparables, right? Like when you buy a house, you look at the comps because what's the house worth? Well, here it's worth this and here it's worth this. And back then it was worth this and tomorrow it'll be worth this. But no one, no one's offering to sell you a price for what it used to be worth. Uh, No one's offering to sell you a house for what it used to be worth. And no one is offering to, and no one wants to pay for a house uh, for what it's going to be worth at some date in the future. So we're trying to get to what, so, so, you know, the guy wish it, I would, I'd like to pay what it was worth 10 years ago, right? That's the buyer and the seller's going, I'd like you to pay what it's worth in 10 years. What it's worth today is somewhere in between those two numbers. And it's what they, they agree upon. And when a buyer meets a seller, that's called price discovery. So for people to make this comment, um, when, when you make a comment about an equity and you say something's overpriced or underpriced, I know that's jargon we use, but in actuality, that it, that's not true, right? It's not something's overpriced or underpriced. Unless, unless in this circumstance, you look at a comparable and you look at one particular equity and you say that's that's overpriced or underpriced because I'm looking at the comparables. Now, how strict those comparables are are then up to um, interpretation. Let me give you an example of a stock that unequivocally is super overvalued. Uh, the stock is called DoorDash. Why? Um, I know this is all about stocks right now, but I'm just gonna I'm gonna get into a guitar thing in a minute. Why is DoorDash so overpriced? DoorDash is overpriced because people seem to be using the wrong comparables. So they're taking um, the multiples on tech companies and they're kind of doing this crazy, you know, grab the market and this whole blitz thing and and uh, IPOs are hot right now and there's a ton of money in the market and they're, they're, they're looking at DoorDash and they're saying, wow, look at this technology. They have this technology and look how much they've grown in the pandemic and people's behavior has changed and blah, blah, blah. Here's the problem. Um, here's the problem with DoorDash. The multiple it's trading at is so much higher than direct comparables. Direct comparables for DoorDash are not Apple or Tesla or um, or, or whatever or A- or AMD or Zoom. Um, Zoom is a technology and a platform. DoorDash is a food delivery platform, but it trades at a multiple higher than Uber Eats, higher than Postmates, higher than. Um, it's direct competitors. DoorDash has no technology. DoorDash, everyone has that technology. DoorDash is a platform you go to, you buy something on a website. Is e-commerce its technology? Are the drivers its technology? None of that is its technology. DoorDash has no technological advantage. And yet people are treating it because it has larger market share as though the multiple should be higher, but they're a service business. And so you don't have, you're not going to get rights law. You're not going to get, uh, you will get some economy of scale, but it'll look different. Um, if anything, you're just going to get in more trouble with regulators, um, at this point, uh, with, with what's going on with the gig economy and regulation and, and the president, the new president. Um, so I'm just going to tell you, if you own DoorDash, that's a stupid, stupid bet. You should sell that immediately, uh, and go buy yourself some Tesla because, (laughs) Someone's about to wake up and they're going to realize, oh my gosh, why are we paying double and triple for DoorDash when uh, like Uber Eats is the same thing, when Postmates is the same thing, when uh, 
I mean, this is all just, we just changed the drivers, but it's Webvan, right? It's all Webvan from 98, which became Safeway.com, which is Walmart and Safeway. Uh, DoorDash is uh, a crazy overpriced stock right now. But here's the thing. There's, and you could, you could say that about Tesla. You can go, it, 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 look how it trades. It's, it's large. It's a, it's a, it's, it's trading, you know, larger than GM and blah, 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 and every auto manufacturer. But the thing is, it's expertise is not in auto manufacturing. It's really not. It's expertise isn't in auto manufacturing. It's expertise is, it, they don't make, write down, write down on a piece of paper, take all the auto manufacturers and write down their expertise and what they do. Break, break down auto manufacturing into assembly line production, into um, uh, inventory management and supply chain and all this stuff, but, but break it down into the parts that they make the parts that are actually manufactured and stuff and where they get them and how they house them and store them. And quickly you realize something. The Tesla cars don't even have the same parts. See, they all share a very similar type thing, right? They all have to use certain things. So they all have technology around uh, fuel injection, around uh, economy for uh, burning fuel, around uh, uh, cleaner emission for in, in the catalytic converter, right? For... Um, uh, all these different features, right? And yet then you have one company who all they've done is made a battery. They put it in a position where now they don't have a bunch of stuff operating the vehicle around the driver so they can make the car around them, not to be a house for an engine and a transmission and stuff, but they just make it to house the driver for a safety, uh, uh, you know, purpose. And that's why all the Teslas are the number one rated cars on the road. Tesla does not make a car that doesn't have the highest safety ratings in every one of their classes. The, the Model Y, it, go, go read about what the Model Y just did uh, it, from the National Highway Safety Institute or whatever. Um, go look at all the crash test ratings. Go look. There's only one manufacturer that doesn't make any cars that are not in the top level, and that's Tesla. Actually, that, that could be like, uh, I think like, I mean, that's, they're the only American one. I think there's, there's a couple of Chinese companies now. Uh, but, but, but like, you know, they're startup, uh, companies, they're Xpeng and Neo and stuff. Anyway, why am I saying all that? Um, I'm saying all that because, um, uh, I think it's got a lot of room to go and, um, uh, the, the valuation thing is, is, uh, is crazy when people say it's, it's overvalued to, I would say this, oh, oh, the law, the, the economic law, we can call it HW's law or whatever. Um, but it's this. You cannot use a fundamental, here's what I'm saying, value, PE ratios don't matter if the rest of the market doesn't care about PE ratios because valuation is determined by a general consensus. It's determined by price discovery. And in markets where transactions are happening hundreds and thousands of times per second, price discovery is constantly happening. Price discovery didn't happen and not will happen. Price discovery is happening right now at all moments, right? At all moments, markets are open. So price discovery is happening all over. So you can sit back and go, but well, I value every company based on uh, the value of stock on hand. And then when that happens, you're going to look at ev all, you're going to look at the S and P 500 and go, none of these values make sense. Is that logical? Is that a logical way to think about the world and investing? No, 
How could you think that about Tesla? General consensus is the, in the market is that this we do not is that the comparables, meaning a multiplier of revenue or PE or whatever, PE ratio or whatever in the auto industry does not apply here. So how could you say it's overpriced? It'll never fall to that PE ratio ever. Why? There's general consensus. People are afraid there's going to be a run. What happens when investors leave? They're not going to leave. It's a general consensus. It's price discovery. If the if the consensus changes, it will do something else. But guess what? That means general consensus can also go the other way. General consensus can also say what if I view it as four companies and one's battery tech and one's this and one's this and one's this, and I can make a justification for, uh, for, um, there's a, there's a $300 billion price tag on this one. This company would be $400 billion. This one would be $200 billion. This one would be $100 billion. It's actually not that far fetched at all to say there it's four things and each one's worth $200 billion. The car company's worth more. So whatever. Bite or don't. I don't care. What I am going to tell you, though, is uh, I just want to say full disclosure, I sold. I sold 30% of what I owned. And uh, the reason I did that is because I, I want to have some discipline. And I can't let Tesla make up everything. So I came up with a number in my head, and I said, this is the maximum number I'm going to allow Tesla to be in my portfolio percentage-wise. And what I came to was, okay, that, that seems like a lot. That is still very risky. But I can't have it going insane. I can't have my entire finances wrapped up in one thing. And so I need to, you need to uh, manage risk and you need to move some things. And look, it might be that um, I need some of that money back um, when I, um, when I need to do something, when I need a car, when my, when a kid needs a surgery or something. So it's good to take some money off the table and move it to something, move it to uh, an area where you have where you're not as concerned with growth and more concerned with capital preservation, right? And so at me, I'm at a young age. I don't believe in having a lot of money in bonds. I think that's silly. I don't think you should really start thinking about bonds until you're in your 40s, maybe probably in your later 40s, uh, maybe 50 even. Um, but for me, I just wanted to take, I, I, for me, I'm like, hey, I'm okay if some of my money has just a just the market return of 6%. Give me some of that. You know, let me, let me enjoy some safety because in a downturn, I don't want to take a real bath. I don't mind taking a bath and riding it out, but you know, I'd like to have a, a little bit there in case of a rainy day. So, so if you ask me, should you buy Tesla? If you email me about uh, investing stuff, I love talking about it. Um, that's, uh, that's, that's what I'll say about that. That, and also Bitcoin is going to $200,000 per coin during Joe Biden's presidency. You can quote me on that. Well, I'll get into why, but that's the most obvious thing on the planet. Um, Bitcoin jumped to 40. Now it's down to, it keeps pushing 40 again. It's going to blow past. It's going to, that, that's going to go 5X. That's going to go 5X. It could go, it, it will eventually, it'll eventually go 10X. <coughs> but I'll get into another episode. What's going to make Bitcoin jump up or down? But it's happening right now. We cannot escape it. The next three to four years, Bitcoin's going to explode. If you can stomach volatility, get in there. Jump on some Bitcoin. It's going to be crazy, crazy, crazy. But it's so volatile. I don't recommend you put more than, you know, 1% to 5%, maybe even 10% of your portfolio. But that would be the max. I would not put more than that in. Um, it's very volatile. And um, the reason I don't recommend it, you might 
put money in and then it's going to go down and you're going to sell, you're going to do something stupid and then it's going to jump back up because the volatility on that thing is crazy. We could see it go to 100 and then fall back down to 30. That could happen, right? We could see it go to 100 and fall to 10. That could happen. But I'm telling you, Bitcoin 200K while Joe Biden is the president of the United States. Quote me on that. Quote me on that. And go and go buy a little. Just go put it. What do you have to lose? Put a hundred bucks in. You know? One day you'll wake up, you'll have 500 bucks. You'll go, oh, thanks, HW. I'll go, thanks. Buy a profile pack. You spend 25 bucks on a profile pack. You go spend your 475. Everyone's a winner. Everyone's a winner. <laughs> That's the truth. Hmm. Anyway, okay. Let's get off that subject. Next segment, Tone Juggy Podcast. So I got this blue guitar. Man, you know, what is it about guitars that you just, you can't shake them sometimes? And what is it? Why do I need so much gear? Do I need all this gear? You know, the amps are one thing. You know, I profile them and I, I kind of view them as an investment in some way and I love having them around. But, you know, some of these guitars, especially the non-vintage ones, you know, You just, you don't need them, and yet I fall in love with them when I pick them up. So I had this blue guitar, and I put it up, and I made a whole video about it, but now I'm thinking, do I need it? Should I sell it? But it's so unique. It's so cool. You know, it's just like, why is that? Why do we always want the things we can't have, you know? Why is it like, if I just had a Falcon, if I just had a Gretsch Falcon, if I just had a, um, if I just had a, you know, another Sir... If I, if I just had this, if I just had, if I just had that limited edition JHS pedal, you know, and the prices, they're crazy. They're crazy on reverb for some of these sirs. I don't know what it is. Are they plating them in gold on the inside? What? I don't, I mean, look, I love the sir guitars because they've got, I think they're a really great guitar when you get them used for 1700, 1800, 2000 bucks. I think they're just fabulous guitars. I don't think there's better guitars out there. I really don't. I think Sir is making some of the best guitars out there. But some of these models costing four grand. You know, I mean, come on, man, buy some Bitcoin. No, um, <laughs> no, the Sir is going to be a lot more stable. Um, but it's the type of thing where I go, look, you're going to sell one of these things. The, the pickups are, are great. They're awesome. It's lightweight. But if you never end up playing it, like, what, what do you do then if you never end up playing it? Is it worth owning? So, you know, you leave it alone, and you put it on a wall, and you never end up playing it, and Suze plays it when he comes over. And then and then, uh, and then, then you, you play it, and one day you pick it up, and you go, I think I'm going to sell this. You put it up, and then, oh, no, the thought of losing it. Now, all of a sudden, it's remarkable again, you know? And, now, and, then, and then here's the thing that happens with guitars. You play them enough, you get used to them. So I'm playing the guitar, I'm playing the guitar, and uh, all of a sudden I go, man, I got to play this this weekend. Man, I got to play this this weekend. Uh, you know, I got to play this thing this weekend. And um, and, and I, this is my new number one. No, come on. It's the new number one. Yeah, man, I think it's my new number one. It's not going to be my new number one, though. Because then I pick up the vintage guitars and I go, oh, this sounds weird. It sounds vintage. It doesn't sound as modern. I dig the modern pickup in there. It does something I don't do. The humbucker, the SSH Plus, not even modern. It's just not like vintage. It's not 50 or 60 spec, you know. It's more like like a JB, like a JB or a um, uh, a 
the DiMarzio, you know, Distortion Plus or something, or, uh, uh, what's the DiMarzio, Super Distortion, excuse me, Distortion Plus is a, uh, is a MXR overdrive. And, um, you just get to this, this little point where it's like, I guess it's good to have something around, but I should sell this. I'm not using it. And then you're back and forth and you're back and forth. And I just don't, I just don't know, you know? So I, I'm going to keep the guitar for a little while. I got a ton of interest from people, you know, yeah, are you going to sell it? Are you going to sell it? Man, I don't want to sell it right now. What I'm going to do is go try it out this weekend. And I'm going to try to try it out with the AC 50, uh, which has been one of my favorite profile packs lately, the AC 50, uh, from Tone Junkie. I actually started making an HW nose tone performance, um, number two, HW nose tone number two. And I started making that. And then I realized, uh, I never finished it. I ended up going to California and having the whole COVID scare. And, um, so I'm into, I'm into the, this guitar now. So, and it's so cool. And then I go like this, should I just get different pickups? No, because I just want the same pickups I have, but I, here's, I, here's what I am doing. I am still going to get another JM Pro with, uh, um, with Lambertone Ristrettos because I love the Ristrettos in this guitar, one of these guitars I got back here, um, but I just don't get the chance to play it because I don't like the guitar that much. I, can, I, can, I, can, I just haven't been able to bond with the guitar. But I don't want to touch that, sir. It's a unique thing. It does a thing. I think it's cool. And uh, I've been enjoying it. So I'm going to leave it alone, you know? But you know what it really is, what it boils down to? Because I notice this, I do this with investments. I do this with guitar. The more I read about something, the more I start to want it. Like the more I read about, about something silly, like let's buy GameStop, you know? Let's buy GameStop stock. Stock. And that thing's going crazy. There's like a historic short squeeze going on. It's insane. But I don't want to be invested in that. That's not my my thing. I'm not trying to just do some little fast plays in game system. I look for stocks that I think are going to change the world. To me, what are the stocks that are going to change the world? Or I also want to balance that out with some reasonable, boring, lackluster financial opportunities. What do I think are cars that are going to things that are going to change the world? I bought some Tesla. I bought some ARC funds, ARC G, ARC F, uh, ARC K. Anyway, those are funds that someone put together that has all these little companies that of companies that might change the world. I think genomics is a really interesting thing. I think fintech is really interesting. I think space is really interesting. And Richard Brunson wants to send you to space on a Virgin Galactic flight. I think that's interesting. I think the idea that there's a quicker way to travel across the world rather than taking a plane and making it bigger and bigger and bigger so you can have more fuel inside, rather than just making it larger and larger and larger, I think it's really cool that we go, what if we just went straight up and let the earth rotate and while we come back down? That's a really interesting thing, and planes already do something like that. Um, they don't travel, you know, in a way that looks normal on a map. So I'm looking for things that are going to change the world. But what I notice is I start to read something. I read, I read, I read, I read. And all of a sudden I start to go, dang, I should buy some, some GameStop. And I did. Now I have a little money in the, in the stock market. That's like fool around money, right? It's a couple thousand dollars that I don't mind getting away from my general principles. And I, it, it's almost, I, you know, it's like if I have $2,000 invested in stuff that's just silly, like 
like this, like, hey, did you buy any any movie theater stock like AMC? Because that that could be cool. Because they might go to zero, but they might go 10x. Right? They might come out of this and in five years look very good. So then it's like, put put 500 bucks on there. That's fun. You know, it's fun to go, you know what? It's 250. Buy 100 shares at $2.50. Now I got 250 in it. Now I'm like, hey, let I hope that thing 10 X's and I'll buy a sir and I'll name it AMC or I'll name it after the founder or the CEO. You know what I'm saying? That's fun. That keeps things fun. That's like betting your friend, you know, um, that your that the football team or the baseball team is going to win, right? That's fun. It makes it more exciting. I find that the more I get on and start looking at these different um, uh, anything, right? The more I read about it, the more I get away from my convictions and I start wanting things, just sort of because they're there. Because I don't, and you get this FOMO thing, and I get some of that with guitar, right? I get it. Oh, you got to try this thing and that thing. And you got to, oh, and this, this thing might not be there one day. And this, this JM pro is limited edition and it'll disappear. And I'm a, and then I look at it later and I go, but I'm not using it, but then I get it. And then I want to sell it. And the idea of selling it puts it back in my hands and it's back in my focus. Right. And it just goes to show you if you want to stop having gear acquisition syndrome, if you want to stop buying gear, stop, look, stop watching tone junkie TV. Stop going on the message boards. Stop, get off the internet. Get off Reddit. You want to stop buying random stocks? Get off of Wall Street Bets and R Investing. Get off of the Motley Fool and get off of all these things. You want to stop wanting a Tesla? Get off Electrek. Get off uh, a, a EV Insider. You want to stop wanting things? Turn off your phone and your television. Now we're getting profound. You want to stop being a consumer? Stop looking at other people. Stop comparing yourself. The jacket you bought 10 years ago still provides you warmth today, but it's not that trendy maybe, so you throw it away. Or you get rid of it, or you donate. You do the good thing, right? I'm responsible, I donate it. So then I, and then I just bought another, uh, you know, I bought a Patagonia jacket. Look, it's really good quality. I, I, I'm in the outdoors a lot, so I can justify a, a $200 Patagonia windbreaker thing for when I go running. Bro, you can, get the, you can get one that works like really great at Walmart. Or you, how about the one you already had, right? Now we get into a thing of the, the psychology of wanting. Because wanting makes tricks us into thinking that getting something gets us somewhere. But getting something doesn't get you anywhere. Getting somewhere gets you some gets you some things. And usually those are the things that are more valuable. Getting somewhere enables you to get things that you couldn't have got when you were back there. But instead you trick yourself into thinking that if I get, let me get some things that are attainable right now so that I feel like I went somewhere. It's just like when you buy, look, it's just like buying exercise equipment or when you buy programs or when you buy whatever, anytime you're paying for fitness, right? Or anytime you're paying for stuff, it, at some psychological level, you need to ask yourself, am I just trying to buy weight loss? Am I trying to buy health? Am I trying to buy self-discipline rather than exercising those things? Sometimes you ask yourself, what's the way up the mountain? What's the way around the mountain? What's the way to where I'm going? The mountain is the way. The top of the mountain is isn't special. It doesn't have anything that you don't have today. 
The top of the mountain, when you get there, you'll realize was not the place you wanted it to be. It's true in anything. I want to be content with my guitar. I want to, I want to lose weight. I want to make more money investing. I want to be a person that has $10,000 in the stock market. I want to be a person that has a Tesla. I want to be a person that isn't, that it has a guitar and just learns and learns and learns to play and can play it better than anybody else. And I'm not concerned. Uh, Kastuji, uh, has done so many songs with his Mexican telly and I want to be like that. I don't want to be a snob. I don't want to keep thinking that I need the next guitar and next car, but my playing doesn't get better. I don't want any of those things, but guess what? Guess what happens? Guess when you get to the top of the mountain, you realize that the only thing there waiting for you was you. Because now you're the person who can climb the mountain. You could look back down and you realize now I'm the person at the top of the mountain. There's no helicopter that can pick you up and bring you there. But we got to buy the things, right? So I'm a seven on the Enneagram. So my fear is the fear of not having enough. It's my core fear. And so sometimes my wife and stuff or people will see, I'll have like a, a cool new sweatsuit on or something. I don't really buy sweatsuits a lot. I have like three sweatsuits I wear all the time. But you know, I'll get one and then fly. I'll get a new hat. And by new hat, I just made a different print of the Tone Junkie hat. <laughs> I, for me, it's not clothes. I don't know why I'm using that example, but I'll get a new guitar. I'll get a new pedal. I'll get a new thing or I'll, I'll, I'll get an update on the Tesla. And I love that. And I'm, and I'm showing it to people and I'm talking about it where a stock will go up and I'll go look at this, or I want to jump in on this one and this one and this one. And I'm, I'm, you're, you're, I'm grabbing at all these things, right? To have, 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 have. And I set these goals for myself and that's good. And it's, it's, they're further than I am. And that good, that's good. It keeps me reaching. And then, but then sometimes I get feedback from people and they go, well, yeah, well, yeah, you're kind of a things person, you know? I go, what do you mean? They're like, well, look, you really want the, the flamethrower thing you saw on Instagram. You want this just because it's cool, just because it's awesome, just because it's great. You don't have any use for it. Some people look at something and they go, I can't use that, but it's awesome. It's cool. That And that's where it ends, right? That, cool. But you go, oh, that's cool. I want it. And that's true about me. I go, oh, that's so cool. I want it. Right? Just like I've thought up in my head, I'm going to get these, this black face and the silver face and the brown face and the tweed. And maybe I'll do that. I will do that. But here's the thing. That's my personality, right? Because my core fear is not having enough. And people must mistake that though, because I realized one time about myself, it's not about the things. I don't actually want more things. It's not, this is cool and I'll take it. This is cool and I'll take it. This is cool and I'll take it. But if you really, really offered me in exchange for all the things, the thing that I want more than anything, the thing that is really inside me is I actually, I just want rest I just want rest from the fear of not having enough. And the only time I get that rest is when I center myself. Is when I go back. For me, I go back to the gospel. And I hold my hands open. If you're not a, if you're not a believer, you know, in Jesus like I am, you know, translate this to whatever you believe. But for me, it's when I go back and I open up my hands to the universe, to God, to, uh, to whatever, whatever you think, luck, space, you know, the, the, the Thanos. I mean, you know what I'm saying, right? I'm just trying to talk to everybody. You guys know what I believe. I'm just trying to talk to everybody. So when I open myself up 
and I go back to the beginning and I take myself and I, I sing the doxology. I sing it in the morning. I sing it in the evening. I sing it probably, I sing it several times a day. Praise God from whom all blessing, all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I couldn't remember the melody on the first line, but... You go back and you put yourself in the spot where you realize, oh yeah, I don't actually want the things I think I want. I saw a picture of my buddy the other day. We had just sat down and we had lunch and he was asking me for advice. And he was asking me about how to get more clients for his business. And he knows, he knows that I'm online and I talk and I get people's attention. That's what I do. I get people's attention. If you're watching or listening to this, I got your attention. And I was just saying, hey, do this, do this, do this. I was encouraging him. And later that day I got home and I saw on his Instagram story a picture of him playing with his kids in the snow. It was a couple weeks ago when we had some snow in Nashville. And he had the biggest smile on his face. Like he was, it was one of those photos where he was genuinely laughing. He was genuinely laughing. And his kids were smiling. And even though he didn't have all the work he wanted, he had the freedom that day to just go play. It started snowing. The kids got a snow day from school. And dad got a snow day from work. They went outside and they played and they threw snowballs and they rolled around in the snow and that was it. And I, I, I messaged him, I DM'd him on Instagram and I said, just remember one thing. And it was the, com it was the photo I commented on. Just remember this one thing. In this photo is the richest man in the world. <laughs> I'm HW. Thanks so much for listening and watching Tone Junkie Podcast. HW out.